Over 460 million people around the world have disabling hearing loss. Starkey Hearing Foundation provides hearing aids and hearing-related healthcare to millions of patients in over 100 countries. But they need your support to continue helping those in need. Give the gift of hearing by donating to the Listen In campaign. Go to listenincampaign.org to donate today. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N dot O-R-G. This is the MLW Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Primetime with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney. We are very happy that you have joined us today. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, uh, I guess you had what you call a relaxing week and you need to uh, recharge your batteries every now and then. Well, thank you, Sean, but you know the first thing's first, baby. Ho! I wonder, Sean, did you start your morning off with a ho? No, I think I need one. Ready? Ho! That's that was bad. a pretty good hole, Sean. I got to tell you, a couple of, in the early days, you and Brian were with go going, oh, yeah, oh. That's right. It's well, good to I, hear a good hole come out of you, buddy. Well, I learned from the best, Jim. I really did. Uh, we're yeah, but I off. did. I had, a, I had a nice weekend. I took the weekend off. My both daughters came home for the weekend. Uh, had a nice family time here at the house. Uh, it's always great. You know, I got the little hobby farm with the ducks and chickens, dogs and cats, uh, the pot belly pig. So uh, we, we had a nice time here at the house. Jim, I know that you spent a lot of time early on in your career, uh, a lot of weeks away from home. I, I don't imagine it could have been less than 40 weeks a year. Uh, but how have you always, because I always wanted to ask you this, and I, I don't know why we didn't get into it before, but w- was coming home kind of your sanctuary? And did you turn it off when you came home and said, okay, I'm with the family? Were you able to do that? Yeah, I, I, I sure was able to do that, Sean. And I tell you, that that's a hard thing to do, you know, because there's so much time on the road. And a lot of time you see the guys usually have the one night stand. They're on the road. They meet a girl at the some club at some show. Boom. But it's the wife that usually has the affair. She's at home all the time. <laughs> yeah. she, she's the same guy at the grocery store and everything. So it's, it's very hard at rela- on relationships. So you got to really have a, a good trusting relationship. But yeah, every time I came off and when I turned the car off in the garage, I'm like, well, good to be home, and Hacksaw's gone, and and, and Jim's here. <laughs> Is there something you always followed, though? Back then, I know we didn't have the phones. You guys would have to get on a cell, or not a cell phone, but, you know, a pay phone or something to keep in touch with the family. Uh, you can't couldn't Skype back then. Uh, how did you stay in touch? And then also today, because I, I know this about you even now, you really know how to turn that phone off or at least get away from it. <laughs> well, that was a right? shot, Sean. Especially us. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. is that true? I mean, have you always been able to, like, say, uh, have that kind of priorities? Yeah, yeah. When I get home, uh, even nowadays, I get home my first day at home. I don't even turn the phone on. I it, It's a day off at home. And, uh, yeah, I'm out there playing uh, fetch with my dogs and, uh, you know, just, just enjoying life. Uh, and it's good after, you know, 37 years to be at that spot where I can take a day day off totally and, and relax, you know, but of course I got October coming up and it's a crazy October. I got the Hamilton, uh, Ontario comic-con coming up this weekend. And, uh, actually Hamilton is, uh, where are they, you know, the uh, Royal rumble brother. Oh, yeah, that's right. A, 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 anniversary. Uh, and yes. also a little side note, Sean Hamilton was the last place I had played a football game. I was with the Toronto really? Argonauts. Yeah. yeah. And we played the Hamilton tie cats up there in Hamilton. Shoot, I, I got a call to the coach's office the next day. I thought I was going to get a raise. 
I got cut. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, right not, out of there. that's not what I was expecting out of this <laughs> meeting. But uh, that that was my last uh, my last football game. But then later on in the week, on Wednesday, I'm flying out to Denver. Deborah and I are going out to Denver for the uh, beer brawl. They have a big, huge beer festival, and I'm going out there with uh, the brewing company and uh, have a, have a big weekend out in Denver. Wow. Beer and brawling, uh, that's a great mix. <laughs> yeah, it kind of goes together with Oktoberfest. Yeah, and then I come home Friday and Saturday, I'm up in Montreal. So it's a, it's a busy week coming up, but so it was nice to have that uh, week off at home. Yeah, and I know you say it's great because you take Deborah with you a lot, a lot of these trips now. Uh, how many weeks do you do now on the road? Uh, it's uh, you know, October. I, I'm busy uh, pretty much the whole month of October, uh, at least traveling, you know, but uh, I, I can now at this point, Sean, pick and choose, you know, I, I'm really working. I just talked to some folks about going over to either Afghanistan or Iraq in December, uh, the wow. second week of December. Uh, we're putting that together. I got my fingers crossed to go over there and, and say hello to the troops and say thanks to the troops and stand up for the national anthem alongside the troops. Uh, that's something I'm going to be proud to do. And then uh, in January, it looks like we're going to have a, a trip over to Great Britain again. So uh, a lot going on here at the Duggan household. <laughs> Thank yes, goodness. Always. Well, and that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to touch that NFL uh, situation right now. So that's why I didn't mention it. But well, if I, you want to go there. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. You <laughs> yeah. know, protest all you want. I mean, you know, yeah. go out there and, you know, and they're like, the, well, the Dallas Cowboys, they kneeled before the national anthem. Great. Stand on your head before the national anthem. Do whatever you want before the national anthem. Yeah. But when they play the national anthem, stand up and respect the men and women that sacrificed their lives, their families, their well-being to keep this country free and safe. Uh, just earlier, I was with uh, the f- uh, Folds of Honor just a couple weeks ago in Nashville with the folks that, that they got the folded flag from this uh, the uh, general after their uh, loved ones have been killed. How can you kneel and, and look at these people? Uh, it's uh, amazing that I can disrespect our country, our flag like that. Go ahead and, and pro- I agree. You got a lot to protest. Protest all you want. Kneel before the uh, national anthem with Jerry Jones. But when it comes time to say, play the national anthem, stand up, put your hand on your heart, and thank God you live in this country. Yeah, and I could not agree more with you on that one, Jim. And uh, also, my feeling, I'm just going to add that I, I, you know, people have fought and died so that people can have the, the right to do that and, and speak out, and that's what the First Amendment's all about. But as you said, it's also about respect. And you know when it comes down to it, Jim? People want to watch football. They just want this Sunday. They work all week. You know, they it's their one day. They can sit on the couch and relax and just play football. Uh, you know, it, you don't want to worry that people are more uh, interested in seeing what they're going to do with the done? anthem. You know, yeah, who cares what some movie star thinks or some athlete who you're there to entertain us as a movie star. Do with that. You're there as a sports figure. Go out and do your sport. You're there the podcast like uh, primetime of Mooney and Duggan. Do yeah. that. But, you know, don't, don't talk too much politics. So we'll get off that, Sean. <laughs> That's right. We as usual, though, we do. Uh, we often get off the rails here, as we did once again. Imagine but, that. <laughs> yeah. And we will again. But that one was a good one to get off the rails. I mean, if you're going to rant, that's something to rant about. All right. Let's get to it, though. We're coming off a week, Jim, where we uh, honored the memory of Bobby the Brain Heenan. 
and I hope we did him justice. I'm I'm hoping that uh, you know somewhere up in wrestling heaven, heaven, somebody let him know that we did a tribute podcast, and then he had a few choice words for you, and he said, "Sean Mooney, who? Mooney, who? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think if if, he, if that happened, then I think uh, we must have done well." What a card they so. got up there in uh, the the uh, heaven, man! With all the guys are gone, I tell you, it's a it's a shame that uh, so many guys have passed. And of course, yeah. you know, uh, there's a nice tribute to Bobby. Yeah, it, it's it, it really is incredible though when you look back at the list of all the people that just in my period that I was with the WWF, uh, how many of those guys are gone? And I know your list is a lot longer, and it really just is that, a, that, a that SummerSlam show of you over there in uh, Wembley Stadium in the UK. You look at that roster. I mean, that was just ravished with guys. You know, Earthquake, Dino Bravo, Hercules Hernandez, yeah. Hawk. I mean. Macho, Liz, I mean, the list goes on. Davy boy, come on. Yeah, all these guys. Shame, that, man. Yeah, that uh, were such great performers, and many of them great people. I know that uh, you were close with a, with a lot of them, and it is just a shame. And every week, it seems like we lose another one. Oh, time um, marches on, brother. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we will certainly all miss Bobby Heenan. Uh, moving along here, we still have lots of T-shirts Jim, that, uh, <laughs> that was a shot. No. That was self-inflicted shot there. Yeah, buddy. it is. And, and I, I, <laughs> we got tons of t-shirts. We got truckloads of t-shirts. Especially, we got a ship full. <laughs> especially those Sean Mooney who t-shirts. Uh, but folks, let, let us, let us know, send me a tweet, uh, an email. Uh, let us know how uh, w- what we can do with these shirts that are going to make you <laughs> check them out. She's because... asking for it, Sean. Well... <laughs> they might tell you what to do with the shirts. <laughs> right. And, but, I, you know, last uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, I have my, my DVD of the unreleased, unseen matches that I wanted to give away. I just said the 25th T-shirt that's sold. We, we're not there yet, Jim. So... Folks, I don't I don't know what to do with these because I also I just received those DVDs that I requested from the WWE. I have all these copies they sent me. I want to give them away. Uh, so this week I'm going to make it real easy. It won't even cost you a T-shirt. DVDs. It's not the yeah. podcast. It's that darn B DVD. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> yeah, I'm on that too. So there you go. <laughs> but this this week we're going to make it really easy, folks. What I want you to do. Go to iTunes and give us a review. Write up a review, and we will. I'll discuss with Jim. We'll go through them, and we're going to pick a random one. And I will give. We're going to give out. Let's give out two. All right. Let's give out two DVDs. So all you got to do is go to the iTunes. DVD? The DVD, the unreleased. Yep. And uh, you know, I will sign one. And Jim, if I get one to you, will you sign it? No. Oh. <laughs> of course. Hell no. Hell. <laughs> You're on your mo- your own Mooney with this. Okay. But we'll sign them. We'll get them signed and I'll get Jim to sign them too. Uh but all you have to do is go to iTunes and sign and and uh, give us a review. Of course give us the the high stars if you like what you're hearing. But give <laughs> us a review and we will pick uh two randomly and we will send those DVDs and I don't care where you are. Really, I'm saying that right now. If you're in the UK, I don't care. If wherever you are, we will make sure these DVDs get to you. So just go to iTunes, give us a, a review, a, a, type up a review for us, and we will get those DVDs out because they're sitting here on the desk right now. I see them right here, Jim. I want to give them away. All right? Here. <laughs> there. Okay. Email us, folks. At I think that'll work, Sean. That's got them. 
<laughs> such, a, such a salesman, aren't you? Like, oh, I can't listen to the podcast right now. I have to go write a review because I want that DVD. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We love hearing from you. And I loved all the emails. We Most of the time. Review. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, from go to it's primetime at MLW.com. Primetime at MLW.com. Also, you tweet us at official hacksaw at Sean Mooney who or at primetime MLW. Okay. Let's get to the main event today. I have been waiting to do this episode for a long time, Jim, because you, of all people, and we talk about your career and how much time you spent with the WWF, WWE, really, you're a lifer, but there was a span of time there where you went to another uh, wrestling organization that gave the WWF, WWE, a run for its money that they will never forget, but it actually woke up the business all across the board. I think you'd agree with that. We're yeah, revolutionized the business. Wrestling, WCW. Yeah, and it certainly well, was, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that? It was a, a period of time that really uh, changed uh, it forever. A, a huge time in the business, of course, and it all goes back to a, a, a feud between two guys, you know, Ted Turner and Vince McMahon. <laughs> they didn't get along with each other, you know, and Turner wanted to give Vince a black eye with Vince go ahead and running the WWF like he was. So he was started pouring money into the WCW that had been around. I don't know if it's still called the WCW, but, the, you know, the Georgia Championship Wrestling at, at the TBS Studios. It's right. been there kind of forever. I was down there as Big Jim Duggan back in the early days. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden he got really involved in this, you know, and the bottom line was he was offering contracts, no cut contracts. And, of course, up to that point, Contracts were unheard of in our business. You you wrestle, you got paid. You wrestle, you didn't wrestle, you didn't get paid. You got hurt, you're screwed. You know, so it was a a really rough racket. And of course, anybody that was pretty established, that was a a big uh, a gold ring hanging down where there were WCW. You go down there, and you know you got a family, and you go down there, you get hurt, and you're out of work for two or three months. You're still getting paid at WCW, WWF. Eh, maybe not. So before we we get to that point, because I want to bring us along here and keep the timeline so people understand exactly uh, what led you to that uh, organization, to the WCW. Prior to that, uh, Jim Crockett it was NWA, and and Crockett attempted to con- to compete with Vince McMahon, but really that's what led to the whole uh, involvement of Turner because he pretty much went bankrupt attempting to go head to head with Vince McMahon, and that's when. Ted Turner got involved with the wrestling, uh, as he used to refer to it. And that's what really started this whole thing back and forth because Turner had the Bucks, uh, his organization, and later with, with Time Warner uh, getting involved as well. Uh, a but lot you know, of people. You know, Sean, uh, yeah? just to go even before that, because you're talking about Crockett, I remember when I was still with Mid South. We did a big show up in the Meadowlands where that was the first time I met uh, Kurt Henning and the Road Warriors. They were there with Ganya. Uh, Crockett was there. They were all trying to come together at that little uh, at that point to compete against Vince and run a, a big super show uh, up in the Meadowlands. But uh, obviously, there was too many egos involved and it didn't work. Yeah, well, and it all came down to money in the end. And this is around 1988 when when Turner uh, came in. And they fortunately had a couple of big superstars, or wouldn't we shouldn't say superstars for this organization, but Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes were a part of that. And, yeah, and uh, but it, yeah, and, and they had 
stars like Luger would come and sting and, you know, as this would go on. But I want to set the stage here to when you really saw this all happen and you were really involved with it from uh, that period, from the beginning to when it uh, crashed and burned. And there's a lot of dispute. Uh, like people talk about all of what was happening at that time. And we're ta- let's, let's really focus on, say, 1993, when in the WWF, we had the steroid trial uh, just, you know, it was just really starting to explode then. There was a lot of buildup to it with the Department of Justice doing all of the investigation. They knew it was coming. A lot of the uh, yeah. superstars, a lot of personalities. I was investigated was by, yeah, I, I had to do an interview at the, down in New York City at the FBI headquarters, which was pretty intimidating yeah. at the least. You mentioned that before, that it was not the most comfortable situation going right. in. But you said there was a, a file that was just. I thought a file a was on the books. WWF. It was a file on me. I was like, oops, <laughs> <laughs> that's a big file. Holy. Yeah. <laughs> a little peek in there with strippers. Yeah. Well, uh, they open it up. There's a one, not one of my more flattering pictures. <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> things tightened up real quick. I was kind of. That was inside a hotel room or. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, that was a shot, Mooney. Yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> The, the, at this point, though, as I said, there was a lot of dispute. and People have gone back and forth with me on this at the time. I said 1993. Financially, business was not great. Okay, right. Uh, as I mentioned, the, the steroid trial was about to really explode. Vince was wondering if he was going to be running this company in uh, a year or so. Right, exactly. Time. And I know from within, from where I was, they were cutting back all over the place. I mean, they asked, and I was on staff, they were asking people on staff and a lot of the wrestlers to take pay cuts. And there's the other side of this that people say that Vince was, in a sense, trying to push some of these people out, not for the money so much, but he thought that the youth, that he was going to bring in these younger guys and change the face of the WWF. What say you on this? You were there as well. And what is your view of what was, was happening with the WWF at this point in time in 93? Yeah, I don't think that was the the main reason, but that I really think that is a, a, a big reason of bringing in a whole new uh, group of guys from to the WWF. That group is gone. Now the WWE is a, a new group of people. So I think that was, was, was kind of the deal, but... Uh, yeah, like I said, Vince, he didn't uh, cut my pay. He just cut me. <laughs> so, yeah, they were cutting cutting talent left and right. Uh, and it, it worked out good because, uh, you know, I did a few indies uh, waiting, and then uh, I got the call from Jimmy Hart with Hulkster going down there to WCW and the contracts opening up. So back up a little on this, though. And beep, beep, what was beep. happening? <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> What was happening, though, with you? Because you had mentioned this before, that you said it was time to go. Yeah, well, I Tell did. Tell us I, what that looked like. I mean, what was going on where you, you've been around long enough to say, okay, I've yeah, got to start looking at other options. Well, there, there was, you know, two two big deals. They, they brought Bam Bam uh, Bigelow in, and I forget, it was a pay-per-view. He beat me clean, one, two, three, straight in the middle. So that's pretty much writing on the wall. And then, of course, with... You know the uh, the Lex deal coming in the Lex Express, and uh, I knew that they were going to put all the USA uh, gimmick on him, and uh, you know, and I I had my ran my run up there. I think it was time for me to go anyway. You know, and uh, 
So, boom, they cut me and left me. It, you know, no hard feelings. I th- you know, you, Vince, a lot of people, as we talked before, Vince looked to Vince McMahon as a friend. You know, he's your boss. He's not your friend. Right. It's all about business. It's all about business. Is that if you want a friend, go buy a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> so when you departed at this point in time, was it, did you already have this other WCW deal in the works or did you go and works, you know, as a lot of oh, times yeah, these I guys would go and work some indies. Yeah, I was doing some indies. I enjoy the indie circuit. Even to this day, I, I still enjoy the indie circuit. Uh, so I was doing a few indies uh, in between, even, you know, uh, which I would have done even if I knew I was going to go to WCW. But I, I originally got the call because Jimmy Hart and Hulkster were very tight back then. He, Jimmy was almost his, his personal manager. And uh, Jimmy called me and said, hey, uh, we need you down in Orlando at, at uh, the uh, TV shoot. And boom, when Hogan first came on camera, I was standing there on his right-hand side. It was a, a big moment for me to come in with a Hulkster. At this point, were they offering the lucrative money that uh, we later saw? I mean, they was, it really skyrocketed. But at that yeah, time, well, were you kind of yeah. blown away by what they, you know, I, tell us how that connection worked. And I know you're not going to mention specific dollars, but give us an idea of, was it comparative to what you were making? The WWF was a lot more. And then what did the contract consist of? Yeah. The, uh, at first, when I first went down there, they, uh, Bischoff was down there and, uh, uh, the, the contract deal wasn't quite all worked out. So I ended up signing a nightly deal and, uh, I had a high nightly deal and it worked out great. They started running almost every night. Guys who were on contract, the nasty boys, Nobsy and Sags were like, hey, dog, and what the hell? You know, I had a, a sweet nightly deal and I did probably four or five months on the nightly deal before they put me on the contract. And uh, yeah, I was making the, twice the money I was making at WWE or F. And with probably half the work, you know, we were shooting most of the time either in or uh, uh, Atlanta at the old um, center stage, uh, we do our TV at center stage in Atlanta, and there was nobody. They used to have to put black sleeves over the seats because the uh, seats were red. They put yeah. black sleeves over the seats so you couldn't see how empty it was. I mean, it was a and it was a small arena, you know, a center stage in Atlanta was like a movie theater, and they were when we got down there, they weren't drawing nothing. And, uh, of course I've said it before and, you know, uh, we went down there and we bumped uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, stunning Steve Austin and Sable Vince took them up there. And it was like you were talking about earlier with another group of guys, a younger group of guys. He started the WWE repackaged, uh, triple H, uh, stone cold. You know, I beat the hair off his head. He went up and <laughs> changed his gimmick. Uh, and, uh, you know, after a couple of years, Vince ended up putting Turner out of business. I mean, just a master stroke of business. When you say a nightly contract, uh, was that guaranteed money per yeah, night was, you worked yeah, or, was or was it based on yeah. like the cards, like they were? No, in the I, uh, yeah, I was guaranteed a, a nice payoff every night I worked and that, because when we first went down there, they were only working like two or three days a, a week. And then when we got down there, started going you know, we had some, you know, 10, 12 day runs and with a couple of days off and then back on again. So it was a, it was a, it worked out great for me, uh, you know, WCW. And that was a deal was a, a, a money pit for the company because they were spending so much money on so many guys. I mean, you know, the Brett, uh, the first million dollar guy, as, as you pointed out to me before, Mooney, you know, Goldberg's making two million dollars down there. I mean, they were throwing away a lot of cash and, uh, 
at, you know, I got my little bit, which I, I was happy to have. Wow. How different was it though? You say you went from working these houses that where they would be on any given night, you know, eight, 10,000 people to going back into that type of, uh, environment and did the money make it all better or what was your feeling? Yeah, it's a business and bottom line, this is the way I feed my family. So yeah, the, the, the money made it uh, good, but also we went down there with the idea, Hey, you know, we're, we're not going to turn this place around. We're going to take this to a different level. I mean, you know, uh, everybody at, uh, at, at this stage, uh, you know, you have, you got to have to have a little bit of an ego to, to be where you're at. So yeah, you're going down there. You want to do good. You want WCW to do good. So you're pulling all the stops out. You're thinking of, Hey, no, that interview wasn't good. Let me do another one i want to know that, that no let me do another one i think i can do it better so everybody was working very hard to make wcw the best that there was until it got to a point where guys were just looking for it for an easy payday and going down with you know bs injuries did it seem like they had a plan though besides the fact that you know here they they have hulk hogan and jimmy hart and Brutus the Barber, Honky Tonk Man, uh, John Tent is down there, the earthquake. Did they just think, if we just loaded up a town, this is going to happen? Or did they, did they seem like they had a plan? Yeah, I thought they had a plan, and uh, I thought they were following the plan pretty good. But then I think, you know, when it started doing well, and, uh, you know, the Monday Night Wars and that, and I think a lot of people got the big head. You know, Bischoff, Russo, uh, a lot of people, I thought, uh, really started thinking that the, you know, their stuff didn't stink. And, uh, you know, and that probably I've contributed to the downfall of the WCW. Yeah. Did it just seem that, you know, they were just throwing stuff out there or did it would, they're big paydays for guys like Tank Abbott, uh, Ernest, Cat Miller. I mean, you know, at the, towards the end, I, I, I was getting a good little push there in the beginning. And then when I dropped the belt, uh, I had a uh, U.S. title. I dropped it to DDP in Daytona Beach. That was kind of the swing for me where all of a sudden, boom, they were decided that they weren't going to push me anymore and they were going to start using me to enhance the other guys. So I was doing jobs for, you know, Glacier, uh, uh, who was the, the German kid there that would came out and do the silly dance. I was doing jobs for everybody, you know, but uh, it was still a business and, and I was making money. And what about the, uh, the Disney connection? Um, was that, <laughs> yeah, when that, after we got done with center stage, you know, when, cause we were now businesses changed. Now we're doing TV yeah. down there at Disney MGM studios. And that was great. That was one of the best times in the business that rivaled the mid South days. Cause you know, most of the guys lived there in Florida. I lived in Titusville over by the space center which is probably 40 minutes from Disney, you know, so you drive over, go in the back lot, and, you know, and you go in through security and you'd be in Disney and you do what, three or four TV shows. And so you might be on the first show and then you might be on the last show. So me, knobs and sags, we go out on the tower of terror. <laughs> we go out, ride the rides. And <laughs> These people probably thought you were, <laughs> they probably thought you were attractions. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the characters oh, wandering yeah. around the park. Yeah, yeah, Look, well, there's Hacksaw. There's Mickey. <laughs> yeah. More than characters walking around. You ain't kidding. But yeah. And then, you know, you'd go to the, uh, 
what do they call it? The catering uh, and down there in a cafeteria with all the different uh, characters. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun doing it, uh, the TV there. It was easy. You know, and Hulkster, he always had a, a big place at the uh, Swan or Dolphin, the two big fancy Dan hotels there. And he'd take you out for sushi or whatever. And uh, yeah, it was a nice time in the business. Everybody was making money and uh, the business was good there for a while, especially when we were at Disney. The, the numbers were good. We were beating Vince. Uh, uh, it was a happy time. Yeah. So th- these were the good times. Uh, how long did this last, though? I mean, you get there. Two weeks. In 94. <laughs> <laughs> but what, it was one hell of a two-week shot. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> but you get there in 94. So how long does this, this ride at Disney last? How long is it an e-ticket? I think it. I think it was there for a, a while, Sean. I, I'm not. I'm not real good on dates. Uh, you know, back then we were probably partying a little too hard. But uh, yeah, it was. The, it was there for. I think right to almost to the bitter end. And uh, you know, that was kind of the uh, the model for the old uh, XWF. I don't know if you remember that. That's that company that Knobs, uh, Sags, Jimmy Hart, and Greg the Hammer put together for a little while. And, uh, you know, they were, they were going to film, uh, they filmed it at, at Disney also. So, uh, that, that was a great game plan because each, uh, each show you'd have a fresh crowd, you know, people would come to Disney, you'd go ride the tower of terror, you'd go, uh, you know, uh, it's a small world or you could go to wrestling, watch the one hour show, boom, you'd go to another part of the park, another crowd would come in. So you'd have a fresh crowd, you know, every time, because sometimes when you're doing TV, especially WWF, you know, you do three shows a night in the same arena by, by 1030, the arena is pretty light, you know, everybody's going home. So it, it's nice to have a fresh crowd every time you go out. So this was, was it the best of times and all of the, the periods that you had worked in, uh, in wrestling? You know, I mean, it, it sounds like it, the way you describe it, the, the travel was better. The money was better. You, you guys are a bunch of kids at a theme park, yeah. uh, for God's sakes. Yeah. And, no, and hanging out with uh, knobs and sakes. I can't. <laughs> I'll gladly trade you one hog for two nasty boys. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, a, you know, looking back at it, uh, you know, the, the Mid-South Territory, that was a lot of fun because we were all a lot of young guys and we were just going from one party to another in every city. But uh, the WCW, now by then I had my two daughters. I was a family guy. Uh, I was looking for more, you know, stable type of work. And it, it was it was good for that. I was home a lot and I was uh, providing for my family. So let's Ooh. talk about how, as you said, it was it was cresting. You said that you could tell that they were they were doing well. What do you think made the difference that allowed the WCW to overtake the WWF and then maintain that for 80 plus weeks where they were at number one? What, what was going on, especially when it, when it really turned and they, and they won the ratings war initially? Yeah. Well, I think it was the talent. I mean, you know, Hulk Hogan's Hulk Hogan. I mean, he stands on the, on the pinnacle, I believe of wrestling, you know, that number two line is, you know, the rock, uh, uh, Flair, Dusty, uh, those kind of guys, uh, you know, no level below, but I think Hogan transcends our business and, and professional wrestling. And I think right then when he made the move, especially right there at the height of Hulkamania, a lot of people tuned in and they followed the Hogan. And, uh, how much did Eric Bischoff have to do with this? Because Eric shortly after yeah, your arrival, yeah. he was, he was, he was the guy calling the shots. Yeah. He was calling the shots. And, uh, you know, I, I think he, uh, you know, he, 
of course he had he had a, a, a good vehicle you know just don't ride run it off the road just keep driving it straight you know, he came down there everybody was kind of pulling the, the same way but yeah he did a good job there and and who knows you know a lot of folks think uh you know that uh, his ego got involved where he was making a fortune of a lot of money and uh, uh but yeah, who knows? My 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 relationship with both uh, Bischoff and Russo were, were were never really great. Uh, you know, we were always were professional with each other, but uh, you know, I wasn't close with either one of those guys. Well, how about with the the other people that, that uh, they say that Hogan had a, a very good relationship with Bischoff? Uh, what yeah, about Hogan. Ran, what what about when Randy came in, and and what was that situation like? Well, Randy was different then because now Liz is gone, you know. I mean, yeah. Randy was a different guy then. Uh, when he was with Liz, you know, he was just so controlling and had such a tight Wound grasp up. on yeah. Liz that, you know, that was just all-encompassing. You know, when he got down to WCW, he was, you know, he hooked up with Gorgeous George there for a while. So he was running a little rampant. And, um, yeah, I, I, I knew Hulkster even probably better than I, than I knew Randy. And, of course, then they got they got hanging together down there, and they had that Florida connection. So many of the guys lived in that Tampa, Clearwater, St. Pete area. That was the like the mecca of wrestling, you know, the, the Bushwhackers, the Nasty Boys, Beefcake, I mean, the Killer Bees. Just there was a, a hotbed of guys living down there. Did they have, you know, they talk about the, the click that they had with the WWE. Did they have the same? Uh, what were the clicks like down there? Yeah, I don't think it was was strong as the click in uh, uh, WWE. I mean, with uh, Sean and Razor and Diesel and Xbox, that was, you know, what you saw on TV. Those guys, and to this day, are still very, very close. I mean, like I, I get along with Hulkster, but you know, I've only been to his house a handful of times. You know, I've done Hogan knows best stuff like that. It's not like we're close, close friends, uh, and. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've known the guy for 35 years, so uh, there's only a few of us have been around. And so it's always good to see a, a fellow survivor. You know, one of the uh, emails that uh, we received asked about, about you and the Rat oh. Pack, as they like to refer to it. <laughs> what was to that? Uh, was it, uh, was it uh, a strong bond or is this just something that people made a lot out of that wasn't really there? Uh, the, uh, the rat pack was down in mid South where I, you know, was yeah. really just coming into being hacksaw Duggan. And I, and I originally came into mid South as, as, uh, with Skandar Akbar, but I, I ended up hooking up with uh, DiBiase and yeah. they put, uh, you know, trying to capital capitalize on the Freebird type deal. They put Matt Bourne with us. So it was a, a, a six man type deal or three guys against three. So it was a, a different dynamic, uh, I've, I said it before, uh, Ted is one of the best in the business, a second-generation wrestler. So teaming me up with Ted uh, was a, a, a masterstroke on uh, Bill Watts' part because I, I learned a lot from DiBiase, you know, not only in-ring work, but also uh, mic work, uh, juice work. You know, he, he really taught me about the blade and everything. So uh, I learned a lot from Ted. And uh, Matt and I, you know, we have a history of uh, not getting along and uh, – you know, it didn't. It started way back there in mid south. Well, that's why I, I did pull you off the tracks a little bit there. But that was what that question was kind of centering on. That knowing that history, but uh, I, I think that they wanted to know. You know, we understand that it was the tag team, but was there was that a time when you were you know 
in a clique or, or in a group that you hung with, because it seems like you've always been a lone wolf. And I, and I don't know if that's right, the yeah. case that you ever, so was there ever a, a time when you, uh, besides hanging with Jake and having him take you places that made you <laughs> uncomfortable, <laughs> took me out of the seminary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I pretty much never really hung with anybody really. You know, my my three best buddies are all gone. You know, uh, Doctor Death, Steve Williams, Terry Bam Bam, Gordy the Freebirds, and of course Pipe. Uh, they're my my three guys that I I really hung with, and and Jake I guess, but uh, never was really like in a click type deal. Uh, uh, like that. Uh, so, cause you know, Teddy, he's a GQ guy, you know, we're going to go to two different clubs. Teddy being some fancy Dan disco with creases in his pants and me and Steve Williams would be in some pool hall with the, the smoke about head level and everything's painted black, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're two different type of clubs. So you know how to I, paint a picture, Jim. You really do. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it in my mind. And you know, so Ted and I never really hung together yeah. and, uh, but uh, I did learn a lot uh, wrestling with a guy. And Matt and I, you know, that's uh, was the beginning of our, our trouble. We had a, a fist fight down there as uh, in uh, um, actually the Centroplex in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We had a little fight in the hallway, and Ernie Ladd broke it up. And, you know, I went back to the dressing room with Teddy, and, and Matt came in. He was pretty fired up. And he's like, you know, Duggan, screw you. It ain't over. <laughs> Of course, back then, if it ain't over, that means it's on. So, like, here's yeah, Johnny. Like you, yeah, it sounds like you <laughs> yeah. got the better end of that. So, it seems like he never, never, ever got over it. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the deal was, but he's no. gone. So, you know, God bless him. So, uh, getting you back uh, on the rails here, and and uh, we we're talking. <laughs> yeah, no, but but getting back to this point, we were talking about you know these groups because you talk about some strong personalities with Hogan there in that locker room, and Randy Savage, and Hypers there, and Kevin Nash, and. Uh, was it better to operate that way, to be just kind of keep yourself, do your business, don't get involved in these? Because it sounded like there was a lot of uh, I don't know, conversations going on about what they're doing and, and, and people trying to get, uh, it was like a, an episode of Survivor or something. When, when, well, was that the best way as far as what you saw it or is just the way you, you, made, you did your business? Well, it, even in the small territories, it was like that, you know, in the dressing room, you, you, you know, Hey, this territory, Charlotte's doing great, man. You, you can't believe how well Charlotte's doing. Everybody's making money. You know, of course, then you move territories like, Oh, you just missed it. We were doing great last week. You know, so the grass is always greener, but yeah. in the, in the dressing room, everybody was wondering about what the, you know, was going on with uh, WCW, especially uh, when WWE, when we were with WCW, when they uh, they did that invasion deal where they all came outside the arena. And a lot of guys wanted to go out and kick their ass. They're like, well, shit, they want to invade us. Let's go invade them. And, uh, right. Uh, right. Yeah, they came down there. I, I remember right. that. And many, many fans vividly remember that. But what a great stunt that was. Oh, it was for, huge, you know. Yeah. And, of course, you got to understand, you know, you had a locker room full of the older generation where, the, you know, they're challenging us. Well, let's go outside. We'll get. We'll show them some press. So <laughs> what know, stopped you? Royal Rumble in the uh, out in the parking lot. Which was, how, how did that not happen? Because <laughs> uh, it's not like you guys didn't know how to old school brawl. Right. Well, and and those two guys too. You know, there's not a walk in the park in wrestling, and 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 uh, Triple H, and and, and even Sean can go. You know, I always, I always felt Sean, sorry for Sean, uh, uh, Michaels, because you know, no matter whatever bar he'd go in. Every girl in the place would love him, 
and every guy in the place would hate him. Hate his guts. <laughs> like, you know, he took my girl, the son of a gun. <laughs> I mean, you know, like or hate uh, Shawn Michaels, you know, sometimes out at night clubs, you'd be like, geez, that guy can't win. Yeah. But he always left with somebody. I've never seen it happen to me, though. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Sean always left with someone to tend his wounds, I'm sure. didn't? Uh... Uh, more, usually more than one, but. <laughs> That's, if I was going to wrestle somebody your size, he'd bring help. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about NWO now. When that uh, New World Order, and uh, you know, folks were not used to seeing Hulk Hogan in that role. Why did that work so well? Uh, you know, because I, that I, really I did kind of, kind of them. Yeah, I think it shows that Hogan, you know, is on top of business too. Because I think the, the, the NWO was already kind of going with. Uh, Diesel and Razor, I believe, wasn't it? You might yeah, know better was, than uh, Yeah, they already kind of, and he kind of saw where it was going and he jumped on and kind of stole the whole show with Hogan going black and white and NWO and he kind of joined the whole NWO thing. So I think that was a master stroke on his part because I think he saw that that whole New World Order thing was taken off and he just kind of capitalized it and just used it to slingshot him on, t- on top of the NWO group. Yeah. And the, did you see that really? I mean, it's not like they weren't doing well at this point, but why do you think that that really did put them over the top? That, well, that entire- was a, Yeah, it was a great group of guys. I mean, you know, uh, just look at them. <laughs> I mean, they, and they all worked apart. Uh, that, that's they're the best in the business. That was a great heel team, the whole new world order. I mean, and Hogan's switching heel. That alone was major news in wrestling. You know, stick him in there with Diesel and Razor and that whole New World Order thing. That was, uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it was a great move on Hogan's part to jump on top of that bandwagon and and ride that wave. And when they had uh, all so many of these WWF personalities, well established WWF personalities that had been so tremendously over, and now we're mixing in with this WCW. Then you've got people who you know you mentioned uh, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, Booker Booker T. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page DDP was uh, emerging as a star there. Scott Steiner, uh, these are you know Jeff Jarrett, Chris Benoit, and of course you know the Giant, who we all know as the Big Show. Uh, what was that mix like? That was just what, I, what I'm trying to get at. Was there a division amongst these uh, wrestlers, or did they all see this is good business? No, I think when we first came in there, there was definitely because that, that other group of Arn and Flair and uh, Austin and that crew was still there when we came down there. And it was uh, it was like a divided dressing room. There was no question. There was Hogan's group and Flair's group. And there's always been that kind of division. There's guys, you know, with Arn and those guys with the Flair and uh, Beefcake and those guys with Hulkster. It's always kind of been a, a Hogan group or a Flair group. I know we're backing up a little bit on this, but I think people still wonder uh, about the encounter and the run that you had with uh, Steve Austin. And why did they not recognize the potential in that guy? Is it just an example of him still not developing to a point or, you know, the right gimmick or them really knowing what to do with him? Yeah, I think it was a combination. They didn't know how to handle him, and he didn't have the right gimmick at the right time. You know, stunning Steve Austin was just not going to work. 
you know, stone cold drinking the beer, giving the finger. Yeah. You know, that's who the guy is. I mean, you know, stunning Steve, that, he's not really a stunning Steve kind of guy. That's me, like, being handsome Jimmy Duggan. You know, it's just not going to work. You know, so stunning Steve, uh, even though he had the long blonde hair and a good body and everything, um, when he became stone cold, that's who the guy is. Did you recognize it before, though? Or it'd say, man, I'm glad that guy's out of here? Uh, or uh, you No, know, me and Austin, or, we never were really, yeah, we weren't very, t- like I said, that we were the invasion group. We were the guys coming in, and supposedly everybody thought we were making all the big money, and those guys were getting phased out. So, yeah, there was, there was op- not open hostility, but there was definitely under uh, ground stuff going on uh, where the guys, you know, they saw us as coming in, taking their jobs. And I don't think at that point they knew that the WWE was going to be a place for them and obviously not a place for them to go to and blossom into the huge stars that they've become triple yeah. H stable and uh, stone cold. But some of those, those uh, guys down there though, were uh, tremendously over for the WCW and, and I get, emails and, and, and tweets all the time about Vader, who I never really was ever around, but you had uh, a few good runs with him, uh, some good feuds. What was, yeah. yeah, tell us about those encounters with him and, and in and out of the ring with, uh, with that guy. Yeah. I, I still get along with uh, Leon to this day. I, I didn't uh, get along too much back in the day, but Terry Taylor always told me I had my best matches when I was challenged physically. And of course, being in the ring with big Vader, you were challenged physically, but I think uh, some of my best work is matches I've had with Vader. I mean, they were believable. They were live rounds going back both ways. And, uh, you know, neither one of us gave an inch, and uh, I think that that uh, the matches I've had with Vader hold up to this day. And what a a great athlete! I mean, I remember being up in, yes. in WWF and him doing that the Vader salt off the top rope, and for a guy, you know, is you know probably what four hundred pounds, well yeah. over three hundred pounds. I mean, uh, um, impressive, powerful. Man, a huge arm wrestler. He wrestled, he arm wrestled probably four or five guys in a row that one of the arenas had one of them arm wrestling, professional arm wrestling gimmicks set up out back. And boom, of course, he does it competitively. And he was just putting, he put me down. Boom. I mean, he, he knew what he was doing. He was a power. He is to this day, a powerful man. I guess uh, he's having some health issues, but yeah, I, I enjoy, I, I, I put those matches on, on some of my best matches with me and Vader. And you talk about another big man, a uh, big show, or <laughs> it was as the the giant then. Uh, what was your impression of him down there? And did you have uh, a lot to do with him in any of these runs? And did you see him becoming a big star and compare him to Andre uh, as far as uh, the ability that those two had in the ring? Because I think that um, big show is – you know, incredible, uh, what he could able, was oh, able to I do. Well, by the time we saw Andre, he was so, you know, his body had deteriorated so much. Well, yeah, I, I don't know what Andre was like, uh, when he was a young man, obviously, but I think the most likely the big show is a better athlete than Andre, the giant. I mean, the big show, he can do a two hand behind the head dunk shot. I mean, the guy's quite yeah. an athlete, uh, yeah. or the, but the giant, 
was the giant and their brute squad. I mean, he he was Andre the Giant. There'll only be one, you know, with the the big show, him, Kali. There's there's a lot of nowadays there's a lot of seven footers out there, you know. Uh, and of course if there's a giant in professional wrestling from John Studd to Yokozuna, Umanga, Big Show, Kali, Duggan, get your two by four. Come here. Yeah. <laughs> get your two by four, Duggan. <laughs> I have to wrestle every giant there is, man. <laughs> and be careful with that thing. You don't want to make him angry. Yeah, yeah. I said I could kill Andre. He could choke on my bones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the uh, when when they went finally to the point where the, you know they were head to head, where it was uh, Nitro and and Raw. Well, great was time that, in the wrestling business, the Monday Night Wars. Yeah, and do you remember thinking at the time, yeah, we're going to be able to do this? Well, it was also a very tough time for the talent, brother, because you got to realize you're going out there and somebody's going against you on TV up in New York or in the WWE. And if your ratings dump and their spike, <laughs> you're in trouble, man. And so it's a very competitive time in the business. So guys are doing everything they can to put on the best possible show because you're going head to head competition against somebody else. And people are flicking the clicker back and forth, click, click, click. And say, oh, I want to watch this guy instead of that guy. It, uh, the power of the clicker. So you were, were you one of those guys who watched? You, you were looking for the ratings the next morning. No, not really. Uh, I just go out and do my deal. You know, I figure if it's there, it's there. It's it kind of like uh, like the podcast, Sean. I mean, I can't keep up with it. You know, hopefully, folks uh, enjoy what I was doing in the ring and, and liked it. If they didn't, you know, I, I can't worry about it. I could never like read reviews because uh, I can't. It's hard for me to watch myself on camera because I'm too critical. So I just go out and do my deal and and, and hope that the folks enjoy it. And that was the way I wrestled also. But you mentioned that that pressure was evident. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For well, every it, for it, everybody. I'm not just yeah. saying for yourself personally, but the, it was. It for, was, oh, it sure, was this yeah, war. Yeah. So, yeah, you know when you screw Just because you want to do well doesn't mean you don't screw up, brother. I mean, you know, the NFL guys are fumbling the ball left and right. I mean, guys miss foul shots. I mean, you're out there. You're trying as hard as you can. Doesn't mean you're not going to have a bad match. So what was going on behind the scenes with with every week uh, having to go head to head? They're in the lead. That's one of the toughest things to do because you're always looking over your shoulder to stay there. Uh, what would go on in these production meetings? I don't know if you had. How would you find out what was happening? How they were going to advance these storylines or supposed you know, storylines? Right. I would never be in a production meeting. I was never involved in that uh, decision. We're, you know, that just wasn't my deal. Guys like Terry Taylor and people like that, Arn Anderson, um, uh, uh, Foley, uh, they enjoy that kind of stuff to be in, in the production meetings and all that. I, I'd find out when I got to the studio or to the arena what, what they're going to do, and, you know, and, and I could kind of uh, tweak it for Hacksaw, you know, but uh, they pretty much had it lined out what was going to happen. Did you hear though from the boys where they would, cause uh, there was a well, lot of infighting. Yeah, there was a lot we of back were, yeah. and forth going on with these guys. Yeah. Not, not too much. I don't think, I think it was mainly guys were selling. We were doing so well there and the bottom just kind of fell out all at once. And we'll get into that. But before we do, Jim, I want to talk about when you found out that you had cancer. Uh, this was in what, 1998 kind of walk us through that and how it affected what you were doing and what was at what point once you did you said I've got to go take care of this or 
Walk us through that. Yeah, Sean, it was a uh, uh, terrifying ordeal. I mean, uh, I hope most folks don't have to go through it, but I, I like to share it because early detection saved my life. You know, I was passing blood. I was just peeing blood. It wasn't blood in my urine. I was just peeing blood. My wife's like, you know, go to the doctor. I'm like, oh, I just took a bad bump in the ring. And my wife's like, you don't bump in the ring. <laughs> Even was this after the, but was it after you, 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 uh, you know, had worked and then, nah, you oh, know, yeah. you, well, that was, happens uh, that you get used to it that. Actually, it started on the road. It was on the road. It, it started on the road, uh, at a hotel. I first noticed it and then it, it stopped and came, it came in and, and left. So I finally, you know, went to the doctor and I, I was living in Titusville for 20 years. So I knew the doc and I'm joking with him, you know, and flirting with the nurses and, he goes out and he comes back in and he looks at me and he's, uh, Jim, it, it's cancer. Uh, wow. that had to be the toughest oh, shot you ever oh, took. My God. I mean, I, I sat back into a chair. I, I just, I've been healthy my whole life. I've never been sick. I've never, you know, I'm, I can't believe cancer. What do you mean cancer? And it's kidney cancer. It's a bad cancer. It's a deadly cancer. And I'm like, oh, my God, we got to do surgery right away. And I'm like, oh, you know, there's a blur. My wife had gone back to college. I uh, went back. I had to find her. And as soon as she saw me in the hallway, she knew because I was supposed to go on the road. She knew that something deadly was wrong because I had come back from supposed to be going on the road. And uh, I was diagnosed. They scheduled the surgery like a week later, right away. Uh, I spent that week, my daughters were little, uh, two and three, I believe. I, I spent the time in their room uh, crying and praying. I was I was terrified. I, I All I wanted to do was survive it. I didn't care about going back. to. Funny how a health issue will put everything else in perspective. You know, you're worried about your job. You're worried about money. You're worried about this or that. All of a sudden, boom, nothing mattered but me to survive this horrible disease. And so I just wanted to grow up with my daughters. And mm-hmm. like I said, they were able to go in uh, and open me up, uh, cut out the cancer. It was all encapsulated inside my kidney. Uh, they pulled it out of me uh, and saved my life. So if uh, folks, if there's something wrong out there, go get it checked out because God bless, they can they can save your life. And and no rhyme or reason, uh, at least. There's no real cause you can tell no why. prevention of kidney cancer. It's just one of those ones that just pop up. Of course, also, Sean, you know, I can't say I, I didn't put a lot of crap in my body. You know, I did a lot of steroids. I did a lot of pot. I did a lot of cocaine. I drank a lot of booze. You know, I did a lot of drugs. It was a wild lifestyle like so many of the other guys. But I was just lucky enough and God blessed enough to be given a warning sign with that blood in my urine. Other words, I wouldn't be here. So I don't know if it was to their advantage, if they uh, milked it an emotional uh, TV no, appearance for them. But I know, but I want to talk about, because people still yeah. uh, mention this, that uh, the emotional farewell that you gave in the ring. I know it was completely genuine from, from you, but how did that come about? And then tell us about that experience. Yeah, because after I was diagnosed, Sean, I, I shut down. I didn't call nobody, didn't call the office. I didn't call my family. I just was with my wife and kids in my house. Finally, Terry Taylor, uh, who I've known for years down there in Mid-South, we were tag champions, I believe. Terry kept calling me and calling me. Finally, my wife, who knew Terry, put him through. He's like, Hacksaw, you got to share this with the fans. And I'm like, no, I can't do that, Terry. I can't. He says, you need to, Jim, you need to do this. 
and he talked me into it. And uh, I went out there, and it was uh, all I could think of as a kid is, is watching the Lou Gehrig, uh, you know, Pride of the Yankees movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the guy, this is the luckiest day. I mean, I'm standing in the middle myself, of the yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh myself my. the luckiest man in the world. Yeah, yeah unbelievable. I mean, I, I got out of what I did. I got back through the curtain and I collapsed pretty much. I was uh, was reduced to a, you know, I couldn't believe I, that it was happening to me. I just couldn't understand it happening to me. And uh, thank God they, they saved my life and it worked out great. You know, I tell Terry when I see him, you know, he's down at the Performance Center now with WWE. And I, I tell him, I said, thank you so much because the fans unbelievably humbling rallied around me. I mean, long before emails and you know that I just was inundated with cards and letters from all over the world for people just saying, you know, good luck, hacksaw, God bless. And, uh, you know, like I said before, the, the, the way people react to us, the guys that are lucky enough to be on television and be in this great business, it, it's humbling to have folks, care you know rick's going through it now of course with his his health issues to have yeah. people all around the world be thinking of you and hoping for you it's humbling and we have talked about uh, not just the, the wwe universe uh, but all these wrestling fans and i've mentioned yeah. them many cases. I, yeah, yeah they're, they're unbelievable i've covered all pro sports you can name and i've never come across uh, better more devoted loyal honest fans yeah. in my I mean, life. Yeah. I, I could be doing an autograph session to Comic-Con or something and the, uh, with the folks who ever take into the, the stuff, something messed up, we're all standing there. I said, come on, we're all wrestling family. We're all one big happy family. Who's got some questions? I mean, and people, where are you from? Oh, they've been, they meet each other. I mean, uh, uh, it's uh, great, great fans. And they How stand that... during the national anthem. <laughs> That's right. How did that help you at that point in time as you said you went out there uh really were just completely honest and and uh very emotional to give a message to people really to if you have any question or you know take care of yourself how much did that reception from what it came back uh helped you get through it it was huge but you know what really pissed me off though was not long after i went out there they did a deal where flair had a phony heart attack in the ring and I really thought that they capitalized on my misfortune and and uh, they then did that. Uh, after I was out there pouring my heart out, Rick did a, a, a gimmick heart attack. Oh. And so you felt that in some ways they, they said, wow, look at the reaction. We got uh, the I, uh, I believe that. I, that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I in my heart, I, I definitely believe that. Sure. So how long did it take me? Was it? Two years are really no, no. Actually, were, yeah, I would. How, when I, were you like, back in the ring? Not much longer after. Uh, you know, like I said, the, the early detection. I didn't have to go through chemo. All my cancer was encapsulated. It was all in a capsule inside my kidney. My kidney was much larger than it was supposed to be, and everything. But there was still, it hadn't uh, spread from my kidney. So, boom, they popped it out. I was getting my checkups four times a year. If anything showed up. Uh, I'd have to do chemo, but I was blessed. No chemo, no radiation. So I was, you know, back in the ring. The doc was like, you're not going back in the ring. I said, well, I can pretty much control stuff in the ring. And uh, I got back in. So from the time you were sitting in that doctor's office till you were back in the ring, what was that span of time? Oh, I, I don't know, Sean. Six months, maybe. Really? Yeah, yeah. Not wow, a year. Not, not yeah. even a year. No, definitely right. not a year. 
Well, well, you came back to Nitro. Uh, your first match was with Lenny Lane. Uh, do you might have won that one? Yeah, do you remember though? I mean, what it was <laughs> not not it's so memorable who your opponent was, but getting back in there after uh, at many points, I'm sure during that process, will I ever do that again? Will I ever yes. be able to step through those ropes? Yeah. What do you remember was. of getting back in there? Yeah, I, I do. I I mean, I you know, I was thankful. I mean, not only did I survive a, a deadly disease, uh, not only to be able to grow up with my daughters and my wife, I was able to go back to the job I love. I mean, I was grateful. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously I never, you know, was a high flyer or nothing that really cut down on what I was able to do in the ring, but I was grateful to still get out there. I, and and I, as I am today, I mean, I, I go to the ring nowadays. It's, it's, it's a love. It's something I, uh, it's a part of me. Yeah. And I, I guess you appreciated it even more after that night. Uh, at, at being so close to being taken away from me, yeah. you know, but yeah. as important as it was to me, Sean, it dwarfed in comparison to surviving the disease and uh, being with my family. I mean, it was a huge plus to be able to go back to work, but back then that wasn't my main goal. My, my whole being was to survive and then, of course, to be able to go back to the business I love, it was a, a huge bonus, a huge blessing. We got a, a question here that we received, Jim, from Josh Kuhn, who's uh, sent hey, this Josh. to us. And um, I, I think this is tied into you coming back then. Uh, a match or a, a little run you had with Goldberg when it says you're, uh, when Deborah comes out to the ring now that he was going after your you know bad kidney or your right did they try and work an angle with that and they definitely yeah they definitely did yeah of course when i came back in with bill and i get along pretty good with bill uh but yeah and and actually sean that's the only time in my whole life in 30 plus years that i've ever used a blood capsule (laughs) really Unbelievable. Everybody always, well, that's a blood capsule they use. That's they're always using a blood capsule out there. Like I wish it was a blood capsule. It's a razor blade. (laughs) I wish it was a blood capsule. Or it's my lip that just got split over. Even back in the day, we did an angle in mid south where Crusher Khrushchev with Barry Darso and Nikolai Volkov, they hooked me. They had the coal miner's glove and they punched me in the throat. And uh, you know what we did back then is Bill Watts gave me a hypodermic needle. I took a whole bunch of blood out of my arm. I put it in a rubber, tied the rubber up, gave the rubber to the second referee. We went out there. We shot the angle. We bumped the referee. The second ref comes out. He slides me the rubber. I put it in my mouth. Nikolai hits me in the throat. Boom. I bite the rubber. Blood goes everywhere. I mean, it was, oh, my God. God, it was, and back then we did the angle where I was out of wrestling. I went to Florida. I went down to Florida. I wrestled Dusty. Kevin Sullivan possessed me. I became a bad guy in down in Florida and was wrestling Dusty. You? <laughs> where all the people in Mid South thought I was in the hospital. I mean, that was before before the internet. But uh, not to get too far off the way off the track there on that's, on that one. That's Brian. the way we roll. That's the way we roll. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, but that was a deal with uh, Goldberg. I, I right. had, had been back wrestling, you know, and uh, they did a deal. I, I, I joke because of my wife. <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, sorry, Brian. My wife, uh, 
you know, we did the deal uh, when uh, I was wrestling uh, Yokozuna. I'm getting ready to wrestle Yoko and Mr. Fuji in WWF. Vince sends the camera crew down to my house, and Deborah's pregnant with my daughter. And she, they, they interview her, and she's crying, don't wrestle Yokozuna. He'll kill you. He'll kill you. Of course, I wrestle Yokozuna. He kills me. He kills me. <laughs> You know, now she comes you up, don't listen. wrestle Goldberg, he'll kill you, he'll kill you. Of course, Goldberg kills me. I was like, honey, don't come out anymore. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Every time you come out, I get the hell beat out of me, you know. Yeah. But no, uh, we did the the angle with Goldberg, and, uh, you know, he was hitting me uh, where they took the kidney out. So kidney punches don't work there. <laughs> you didn't listen to the doctor. You said you could control things. Well, yeah, but anyway, <laughs> they, yeah. well, I told you, he hit me where the the kidney was gone. <laughs> it wasn't there anymore. There. I can't, can't sell it. <laughs> right. Yeah, but okay. uh, yeah, they slipped me the blood capsule, and I, I bit the thing and had the juice flowing, and uh, Goldberg. Did you get some heat? Many, uh, there towards the end, I mean, they just, they tried to use me to elevate everybody, and I said it before, those guys have come and gone, and Hacksaw still there. Oh, as I told Bischoff, you can't kill me off. Beat me every night. You can't kill me off. <laughs> well, they, they didn't. It, it, was this when you did come back? How long after that did th- things really begin to turn for you? I mean, it started to turn for the company. But when did you say, okay. We did a, a show because uh, they had the uh, Nitro and uh, uh, was it Thunder, I believe, right? It was the Thursday night show. They had a Monday and Thursday night show, yeah. but they also had the Saturday afternoon show. Mm-hmm. And that's where I ended up, me and Jimmy Hart, Jim, Jim was producing the show. That's where they stuck me in the janitor suit, and I found the TV title in the trash. And I was doing an angle with uh, uh, David Sierra, the uh, Cuban assassin, and we were doing ratings close to the uh, Thursday night thunder show on that uh, Saturday afternoon show with you know, a fifth of the uh, budget. And didn't they put Bobby, they were trying to phase him out as well. Didn't they put him on Saturday as well? Yeah. And, it then, was, and he said it was a great show. They it actually was a great show. They, they had a, and, and that's a good, a good time for wrestling. You know, that's, that's traditionally when folks watch that DBS stuff. And, uh, you know, that, it was a good show. And, and it was a wrestling show. You had wrestlers writing the show. You know, Jimmy Hart, Bobby. You don't have Hollywood writers writing the show. You don't have guys that never been in the ring writing the show. I mean, you got the guys that grew up in the business and give folks wrestling and not uh, dialogue. So at this point, uh, we're the neighborhood of 99, and that's when Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara come in. And, and uh, when did you... Uh, what was the initial impact of having Russo there? And when did you see things really start to head south for yeah, the I, WCW? I think, what, you know, uh, you know, people say the, the ratings proved me wrong, but I know when it would seem like when Vince Russo came in, I mean, there was, you know, there was a big deal in the dress room that Vince McMahon sent Vince Russo down to sabotage the company. I mean, things were going so haywire down there, you know, it wasn't that, uh, you know, Vince, because everybody said, well, Vince made the WWE. He's Vince Russo is the one that turned WWE around. There's only one person that turns WWE around, and that's Vince McMahon. I mean, he's a hands-on, 24-hour workaholic. So that was Vin- Russo was up there, and I'm sure he contributed to it, but I don't think he was the major factor in my opinion. And I think when he came down to WCW, the ship may have already been sinking, 
but I think he contributed to it uh, with uh, David Arquette being the world champion, uh, you know, him becoming the world's champion. Uh, that's I always, you know, when Bill Watts would come back, make himself world champion. There might be a little ego problem there. You know, I'm the world champion. Yeah. Well, they do. And, you know, I'm, I still know quite a few people that are connected with the company. And, you know, they do give Vince Russo credit or some credit for uh, changing things that really put them in the position where they d- would again overtake WCW. But well, do you sure, think it's, it's kind of, but it was it too, we he ended up being put in a position that where he should not have been maybe, uh, maybe as a cre- creative contributor, care. but when you're running the ship, when you're steering it, it's a whole different ball game. Right. Yeah. And you know, everybody's got an opinion and you know, that, that, that's my mind. I don't have nothing bad to say against Vince Russo. I just thought he made some bad business, business decisions. I remember, you know, Kevin Sullivan coming up to me saying, cut down on the hoeing in the ring, you know, (laughs) you know, what else? Made a career out of this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, of course the, the team Canada deal, uh, but also that, you know, kept me in the mix. I mean, if he really wanted to screw me, Boom, you're not on the show. So, I mean, uh, it, it kept me in the mix. Not a, uh, a, a character that I enjoy doing, uh, but, uh, you know. Well, we've, I, we've talked about that before, though, when we uh, discussed some of the superstars and, and getting over in the WWF and, you know, example with, with Dusty and being able to take a gimmick and say, hey, you just just yeah. give me, put me in the ring and let me do what well, I you, do and make it work. Yeah, when we did that uh, Team Canada deal, of course, it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hugh Morris and uh, General Erection and uh, Major yeah. Guns. I mean, you know, uh, which that was a, a plus. <laughs> yeah. That's... Maybe a D plus. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but also, you know, when I was able to uh, cut my hair and, and shave my beard, you know, that was the, one of the first trips to Australia. And I originally wasn't on the uh, tour as a baby face, but when I turned heel, I was able to get on that trip, which, uh, you know, that was a thrill, but you know, one of my, one of my first times to Australia. Yeah. And folks, what, uh, Jim is referring to me, of course you had the, the janitor gimmick and you can find pictures of that on the internet. And right. also there's, I still a, have the janitor suit. That's <laughs> a great picture of you in that, <laughs> but, but also I think the one that really is, and I, I, all I've ever been able to find is the one picture of when you shaved the beard and cut your hair and when you joined Team Canada, which many people were very upset with, Jim. Well, I think a lot of people were upset, but also a lot of folks were like, oh, come on, Hacksaw. <laughs> you know, they're like that, you know. But uh, the first time uh, you could I, go I down feel, to the convenience store and not be recognized. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was unique to, to, to cut my hair off. Well, I think you said you hadn't. Hey, how long had you had that beard? Well, oh, and I went to the show that night, you know, because I did it on the road and I showed up at the show and I, I walk in and guys that I've known for 20 years had not a clue who I am. You know, I'm sitting in a dressing room. I'm not saying a word. Everybody in the place is eyeballing me trying to figure out this is this a new commissioner? What the hell's yeah. going on with this guy? And, Enhancement talent is here. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I've done enough of that. I'll tell you. And then, uh, I always joke, right? I said, when I flew home, flew home, my wife met me at the airport. She goes, this is great. You look totally different. <laughs> Got a, a new man in the house. <laughs> you mean? Put the red wig back on, honey. <laughs> the fishnets. Hey, you know my wife. 
No, I don't, Jim. No, I don't. No, I don't at all. Oh, (laughs) hey, hey, okay. (laughs) But that... What, was it their idea to shave the beard, or you said, yes, I, if I want yeah. to do this, I'm going to do it completely? Their idea to go Team Canada deal, yeah. And like yeah. I said, you know, I, I, I think they, and there, for a while there, they put me in purple trunks and gold boots, and they said, Hacksaw, before, you know, you get such a good reaction out there for the live crowd, we're going to use you to, you know, to uh, be the first dark match before we open the show. And go out there, I had this giant, huge WCW purple flag with gold letters. And they said, go out there and get the crowd to chant WCW instead of USA. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I said, okay. That died on the vine, to say the least. <laughs> I'm losing my voice screaming, WC, W. Folks, and uh, I'm not getting with it. So you go from this euphoric, the best experience you'd ever had coming in there in 94 at this right. point are you just hanging on and say i'm gonna i'm they, they're gonna they're trying to to get me out of here yeah uh, well they have a contract i ain't going anywhere but how tough was it yeah to be with that company at that point? It, it, towards the end it was it was very hard especially for the guys that had been there like jimmy myself you know the guys that came in early and uh you know, at the, I'd go sit in my car a lot of the times, man. Yes, you know, the dressing room was such a toxic, toxic atmosphere. Place, I'd really. enjoy it. I'd go sit in the car. Or I'd go sit in the cafeteria. But Jimmy Hart, uh, Jimmy Hart, and I used to joke. We're like, it's like being on the on the Titanic. You know, the ship's going down, but you want to be the last one hanging on. You know, and uh, of course uh, we were, as as a lot of guys hang on. Uh, Teddy Long, a lot of people sued the WCW right before they went out of business uh, and uh, made a lot of money because, you know, I was still on contract for months after WCW went out of business and, uh, you know, they paid me my full contract. It was uh, the best year in work to pay ratio I had because I sat home for three months and got paid my full salary. You said that that locker room was so toxic. What was going on at that point? Was it just uh, all this infighting, guys trying to, no, nobody really running the, the school? What was going on? Yeah, well, I think there was not, everybody wants their own dressing room. Everybody was, you know, uh, it was a dip, different type atmosphere than, than most wrestling dressing rooms where there's a lot of respect, you know. Uh, you don't mess with somebody's stuff. If that's his chair, he might be gone, you know, take the guy's chair, you know, stuff, little stuff like that. But that means a lot in our business. That's, you know, disrespecting a guy to, to do kind of stuff like that. And, uh, just, just the, the, the pettiness of, of all of it. And of course, you know, I, I was kind of one of the old timers and a lot of folks didn't like my style at that point. You know, I had quit chopping meat and I was getting, you know, pretty silly there for a while. And, uh, but that added to my longevity, and that also one of the reasons I still have all my own body parts. You know, everybody else has got some something replaced. I'm still in the original packaging. So when this all started to to really uh, start to tank, did you have any conversations with with Hulk or or Randy or, or no, what was no. what were these guys thinking at that point? Or did you just I think Hogan was already gone? I think yeah. he was gone before the end, uh, the the bitter end, if I remember right. So. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I was just putting, but I mean, did you ever have conversation with them when they, uh, when it was going to, when it was changing that they, that they saw the writing on the wall? 
Um, no, I, like I said, yeah, like Randy, uh, they're not, not two guys that I would travel with all the time. You know, Hulkster, I talked to once in a while, but yeah, the business decisions like that, I'm sure, you know, he, he makes on his own and he, he didn't share that cause I'm sure he wanted what he did. He wanted to do, you know, as one move and not drip by drip by drip. So I think when he was deciding to move, he didn't talk it over. He just made the decision cut clean. Yeah. And when it was. When it was bad, boy, was it bad. And there were reports in 2000 that uh, the WCW was projected to lose something like $80 million. And there was all this floating around. Did you always hear that they were going to, you know, it was going to be, it was for sale or somebody was going to come in and buy it or. Uh, no, I think everybody knew, time? yeah, because I mean, guys were, you know, Brett and like I said, Goldberg and Nash, those guys, millions of dollar, you know, Tank Abbott, $600,000. Woo, I mean, what the hell? Glacier, they were spending, you know, a uh, exorbitant amount on just his entry with the bubbles and the lasers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just, it was like, how much money can we spend? They weren't even like trying to save it. it was, they were just blowing it. And then they were just, in, instead of, you know, everybody's got an opinion, but instead of trying to help, help the project, project, they were just throwing more and more money at it. Mm -hmm. So when was it the real end for you? How did that happen? Oh, geez, I can't. Uh, I would think, yeah, we just got the, the call that the, the, the show was over, but they would uh, be honoring. I, got, I guess it came a, a FedEx, actually, and uh, let us know that, the, uh, that the, they were closing shop but they would honor their contracts and that you were not able to do any other work until your contract was over. That would void. Uh, I almost screwed up and did a, a little small Indian almost voided my whole three Wait. months. Yeah. But, uh, they, they didn't want you to work at all for those uh, three months. And then, you know, so I didn't. And of course Vince came down and he took the, uh, he took all the titles except the TV title. You know, so I still got the old WCW TV <laughs> title, you know, which actually is an extremely historic belt. You think of all yeah. the guys from Dusty to Flair to Arn to, to Ricky the Dragon. I mean, everybody had that TV title at one time. It's a historic belt. And, that's, and I was that's, the last guy to have it. That's right. That, that, and it was in a trash can. Well, I don't tell that part. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had thrown it out. Do you, do you remember what was your last appearance for WCW? Does that stand out to you at all? The last time you stepped in the ring for them? No, I, it's it, funny, but it, it really doesn't. Uh, wow. Yeah. It, uh, it was uh, not a good experience at the end. I mean, it went from, I mean, the, the playground it was from when we first got down there and over just a, sh a relatively short span, it, it went the whole spectrum from being a huge, great place to work to spending my time at, uh, in the lunchroom or out in my car to get out of the dressing room. It was, uh, a totally different place. But yeah, it, I, know, I know. I was talking Shemani to uh, King Kong Bundy and yeah, big Bundy's like, well, at least you were down there and you got part of that gravy train because that's the way that a lot of the guys looked at it. That didn't get down to WCW, that it was a gravy train for a while. And guys like Bundy, uh, missed out on that. What is really incredible when you look back, Jim, at, and I don't know what the price tag was when, when Turner obtained what was the NWA and became uh, what we got to know as the WCW and as huge as it got. And at one point had to have a pretty good income, although they probably gave most of it away, uh, to think about in the end 
that it ended up that uh, Vince McMahon, after all that, would end up buying it for somewhere around $2 million and then, uh, and then obtaining the library. And if you think about just, just having that, the archive, the library of all of those matches throughout the years, and getting that, I think, for uh, probably another couple of million, I think the entire deal was, was somewhere over $4 million, is just insane to think about. Yeah, well, that library was a huge buy for him, you know. Wow. I mean, he, yeah. uh, and plus, you know, I remember because Mid-South, uh, Bill Watts' wife, Emma Watts, wouldn't sell the rights to the library to Vince forever. Yeah, and of well, course, all the very guys. Wise. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah. they could be still making a lot of money from that if they yeah. set it up. But, uh, of course, for the guys that were on that tape, we couldn't get on the WWE network soon enough. You know, I get a lot of folks that watch and say, we really enjoy your Mid-South stuff. That was a different type of wrestling down there. And, of course, people wouldn't see it if it wasn't for the network. And that goes for, you know, Ganya stuff or, you know, uh, Crockett stuff out of uh, the Carolinas. I mean, Vince was able to get those libraries and uh, put them out there for folks to see that other words. It would just be sitting, gathering dust. Yeah, and it's it is amazing that you talk about a bargain for yeah, it was a bargain what for they sure will was. will uh, what they are making and, <laughs> and what they will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much what it came down to. Uh, Jim, we got we did get some questions. I wanted, to, but they were they were all over the place. So I just wanted to save them here till last. But they, they are uh, WCW focused, and uh, we. Uh, Got one from uh, WWF WCW guy, so obviously this was uh, two of his favorite eras in wrestling. And he said, "Who was Hacksaw's travel companions at WCW?" And in comparison to WWF, who had the better two by fours? I don't know where that came from, but for answer that, answer the first part of that one with yeah. <laughs> because w- they had rubber two by fours in WCW. WCW had the prop department <laughs> with a rubber two by four. Yeah, pay right. attention, Sean. That's pretty good. They sure do. <laughs> I thought you were just napping out there, but uh, yeah, they had that. But it, who I used to travel with is I gladly trade you one hog for two nasty boys. I travel with Nobsy and Sags, man. And, uh, they were always entertaining, as long as you weren't the target of their uh, attack. Did they ever sit still? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, knobs and things. I mean, they're 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 funny because they they pick on everybody from Hogan to Flair yeah. to the youngest newest guy in the company. And uh, of course, there's so much to come back on them at. You know, boss man, he, big boss man would walk in and Nobs be like, big fat man, hey, big fat man, how you doing, big fat man? <laughs> And boss man turn around and walk out. I'm like, boss man. I mean, there's so much to come back on. <laughs> you know, the best defense is a good offense. Yeah, but, he just uh, didn't want to engage. He knew how yeah, long yeah, to take best, Sometimes not to engage. Moments never, in his life he would never get back. <laughs> yeah. and, and people, everybody's got a limit of, uh, of knobs. I always joke, you know, uh, boss man had three seconds. I got three days. Yeah. Hogan had three months. I mean, but sooner or later you're like, get the hell out of here, you son of a. But he had a reputation. He'll just talk to anybody, right? I mean, famous oh, guy, biggest movie stars. He'll walk, just... up, he'll walk up to anybody and start a conversation, you know. And, uh, you know, they uh, he went, uh, the guy that played RoboCop were out in California. He goes up to him, comes back. He goes, guy, that guy's really an asshole. I'm like, leave him alone, Nob. 
he's, he's an asshole. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, Nob just you walked know, that guy up, walked like, away saying the same thing. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> but also, I, I, I was on stage. Deborah and I were on stage with Willie Nelson singing at Farm Aid because Brian Nobbs and Willie Nelson are big buddies. Yeah. Willie, Willie stayed at Nobbs' house down there in Florida. So, uh, you know, people either love him or hate him or have a time limit. And, and Sagsy too, but I, I enjoyed those guys. And, and they had your back. You know, I always joke, Jake was a great guy to party with, but the last guy you want driving your getaway car. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nobbs and Sags, they'd be there with you. That's great. And, uh, you know, with Nobbs, I mean, like they say, Jim, if you don't knock on the door, you don't know who's going to let you in. And it sounds like... Uh, Oh, you they always anybody. knocked. <laughs> they go up to anybody. Yeah. Oh, and I tell you another good one. They wouldn't get on the bus. Sags would get on the bus. They used to have that that stink perfume. Remember that they sell at the novelty shops. It oh, right. Like rotten eggs, right? Yeah, yeah. Sags would get you get on the shuttle bus from the hotel to the airport, and Sags would get on. Oh, my partner's really sick. He's been pooping all day. Oh. <laughs> of course, snobs would get on. And he'd be spewing that stink perfume. <laughs> Everybody on the shuttle bus would be dying, think it's knobs passing gas, right? He goes, "Oh, my stomach." <laughs> yeah, they took those people took taxis from that point oh, on. Man. I'm sure. Yeah, well, you can, you can imagine about two or three businessmen getting on the shuttle bus with a rest of all wrestlers in their sweats and shit, you know? Yeah, and and just looking to entertain themselves. That's, <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, that's that's way there, yeah. Well, and also we have to give credit to WWF WCW guy. He uh, wants us to make clear that he's the one that suggested we do a show on your experience with the WCW. So oh, thank well, you, good. WWF WCW guy. And buy a t-shirt. Uh, yes. Buy a t-shirt for crying out loud. Please. We got a shipload of them out <laughs> here. That's right. I want to get back in that front bedroom again someday. Uh, <laughs> now here's one uh, from, uh, let's see, Joseph Lawson. Um, he talks about, you know, the, the big guys in the WCW, which you were in the ring with a lot of these guys, uh, Vader faces of fear, the giant who made you feel the pains, uh, the next day, I think the most uh, that, I think that's the question, Jim, what, who yeah. was, who was the stiffest? <laughs> they, yeah, they were all pretty snug, you know, but that's the deal. Also your partners, he's not your opponent. He's your partner out there. You want to take care of me. You don't want to hurt him because that'll kill the angle. But yeah, when, when me and Vader were in there, like I said earlier in the show, I think you can watch that match. Everything to the body is live rounds. I mean, they're, they're going, uh, it's the finishes of work. Everything else is, is pretty much a shoot. And, uh, I felt it and I'm pretty sure he did too. Were there uh, a few though that, uh, I mean, you, you learn to trust there's big guys that know how to do that and do it really well, but were there, uh, others that. You know, you knew you were going to go in there and it was going to be uh, everything you got. But where there's others who went, oh, boy, this one's going to hurt. Yeah, Iron Mike Sharp was just brutal. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Iron, you know how to work at all, brother. (laughs) I mean, I've had easier street fights and lost. (laughs) Iron Mike Sharp. I mean, oh. Yeah, the match is three minutes long. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's brutal. (laughs) Just covering up, you know, rope-a-doping. But, uh, and then of course, with nothing worse than having Andre look down at you say, don't move. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, he's going to drop something on you. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> and, and you didn't move. No, no, <laughs> An no, inch. no don't move. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, from our, our friends at shining wizards at wizards podcast, 
Uh, how was official or how was Hacksaw convinced to do the Canadian gimmick? Uh, it felt uh, so dirty. That's what it says. <laughs> <laughs> it felt so dirty. Oh, they paid me. What the hell? I mean, uh, yeah, like I said, bottom line is the way I uh, entertain or uh, feed my family. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's playing a part in a movie. And if they had the character Hacksaw, you know, doing that, boom, that's what it was. It's, uh, right. you know, not yeah. something that, uh, that, you know, wrestling fans, you know, hardcore wrestling fans know that. So it's a good kind of a trivia question. Well, Jim, a lot has happened since that period of time. You went on to do uh, a lot more, and uh, thankfully, uh, back in we're back in the fold with the WWF not uh, too long after, and uh, to this day. Uh, but looking at uh, back on that period, ninety four uh, to two thousand one, really, how do you how do you look back on that? What what are your uh, memories? Was it was it uh, good and bad? I mean, how how do you look at that period yeah, I- and? Yeah, I don't think anybody could look at it that length of time and say, yeah, that was a, the greatest time ever. There, there, there was good and bad uh, times in, throughout that period. But overall, I think it was a, a good time. Like as, a, as we said before, Sean, overall, this business has been a good business for me. So many folks hear all the negative stuff, all the train wreck stories about wrestling. It's been a great business for me and for my family, and uh, I've enjoyed it. So overall... Uh, yeah, the, the, the WCW days were, were very enjoyable. And with an overall uh, look at this, how did that period of time change, not just the WWF, not just the WCW, but professional wrestling forever? How do you but look at it? I think the, the, the biggest change, the mon, you know, humongous change contracts up to that point, nobody had a contract. Now it's a common Everybody has a contract. I mean, uh, you know, from going to zero contracts to everybody uh, in the organization, talent-wise, having a, a uh, talent contract is a huge change. So you know what you're going to make. You know what, the, you know, up to that point, you had no, you couldn't budget nothing. You know, you had no idea what you're going to make this week, the next week. Uh, it was it was hard uh, on the family. So now you know what you're going to make over the year. And, uh, of course, in the residuals, uh, the gimmick money, the merchandise money comes in. And that's always a, a good little bonus for guys that are, are current. And that, that just to go off track again, get on it, Brian. <laughs> just, to, just to get off track again, you know, uh, back then everybody had a T-shirt. Coco Beware had a T-shirt. The Bushwhackers had a T-shirt. Bret Hart had a T-shirt. Hulk Hogan had a T-shirt. Macho Man. Now it's just John Cena. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, Brock oh, Lesnar. Yeah. And, and the wrestling doll. Remember yeah. the dolls and the you know the. They're not uh, dolls, Moody. They're action, action figures. figures. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, I'm. I, I uh, forgive me. I cannot believe, <laughs> but but uh, the action figures and the wrestling buddies and the yeah, you're right. But it it did change in a way though, as far as guys getting uh, a piece of that stuff. Too. Yeah, it sure did. Until this day, now uh, you know we still get residuals, guys that, that worked with WWE, and you look, and some of that stuff goes back from years ago, and uh, that, that's always a nice little bonus. Of course, it's you know nothing compared to probably what it should be uh, uh, compared to a lot of other sports organizations and stuff. But it's you know it's uh, definitely a nice little surprise every quarter. Yeah, I wish I had a dime for every Coliseum home video, Jim. I'd have. Uh, Two dollars and fifty cents right now in <laughs> yeah. my pocket coming. 
Well, those, I can wait for those videos. You got a bunch of those, don't you? The, uh, uh, not a piece of one, though. I'd love to uh, because they they ended up, um, I'm sure they have sold millions of those get, over the I mean, years. that piece by the time, because they break it down to everybody that's on the video and, of course, uh, the company that produces it and then the WWE. So yeah. by the time you get it, uh, but it's you know better than nothing. But no matter how you look at this period, good, bad, uh, you know, great entertainment, bad uh, wrestling or whatever, it did change professional wrestling forever. And that was kind of the end. I mean, once the uh, the Monday Night Wars ended, I think the ratings have been slipping and sliding ever since. And you've mentioned this before, too, that that was good for the business to have that competition, which really, besides, uh, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, there sure, are independent op- operations. You've talked about this before. Yeah, not just good for the fans. I mean, fans loved it because they had, to, you know, competing companies, but yeah. also for the talent because you had somebody to negotiate against. I mean, you know, if, if there's not the only game in town. If this guy, you know, he's going to give you that, well, see what that guy's going to give you. If there's only one game in town, you'd kind of lose your negotiating stance. Well, Jim, I really loved hearing some of this insight. Uh, A lot of these details I've never heard before. And um, it really uh, was a great period during uh, the history of wrestling. It was. was. Uh, I just want to remind you that in two weeks, we're going to uh, step back into history and talk about the incident uh, that happened in New Jersey as I've involving. What incident (laughs) is that? I'm not sure. The Sheik. she, I tell uh, you, yes, you don't know Jim, no friend uh, of mine. I don't know him. That's it, Mooney. I've had it. I'm not talking to you ever again, you son of a. Well, folks, you want to tune in for that one. It's it's going to be one you will long remember because. The bust uh, will live in infamy. That's right. Uh, in the meantime, uh, go to Pro Wrestling Tees. Check out our tremendous T-shirts. Uh, it's not going to cost you anything. Uh, you, we just, uh, as far as me giving you a DVD, we'd love to have you uh, go and get a, a t-shirt. There's some really are some great ones there. Pro But as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I have these DVDs, the unreleased DVDs. I've just received some copies that we want to give away. And what we're going to do, as I said, we're going to give them away. All you need to do is go to iTunes, give us a review, uh, write one up for us and uh, click a bunch of those stars. And we will go through and randomly we'll pick two. We're going to pick two. And Jim and I will sign these DVDs. And I told you, I don't care where you are. I will send these DVDs to you. Okay. So go to iTunes. Give us a review uh, starting today. And uh, we will look at them before next week, the next podcast. And we will have two winners. And we will announce them then. Okay. You can get in touch with us in the meantime. Yes. Prime time. (laughs) (laughs) I think I can still do another one. I don't know. Yeah. Can you, Jim, or get I'm the my family? Sister will call in. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, you can contact uh, contact us through email at primetime at mlw.com, uh, Twitter at official hacksaw, at Shaw Mooney Ho, and at primetime mlw. Jim, another great conversation. Always love to chat. Take us home, and I'll see you next week. Well, Sean, always nice to talk to you, my friend. It's it's good. I hope the fans enjoy us uh, visiting together, and we're having fun. But uh, this coming weekend, Hamilton Comic Con, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, do what he does best. Ho! See you next week. Primetime with Mooney and Duggan, tough guy. The world.
stops. Simplicity and ease is what you get when you host your podcast with Audio Boom. You can post up to five episodes per month, you get unlimited storage, and 500 minutes of recording time for each episode. Plus, advanced analytics, embeddable players, distribution of your podcast via Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Sovin, Spotify, and Stitcher. Pending approval by each platform. Right now, you can sign up for Audioboom's $9.99 monthly subscription plan and get your first month free by using promo code BOOM. That's B-O-O-M for one month free of hosting and distribution. Sign up for our $9.99 monthly subscription plan today.